The song that I've chosen for this morning is one that actually I discovered about 20 years ago. I have been singing it for myself at home for about 20 years now since I first found it because it is a message from God to me and to each one of you, bringing his comfort and claiming each of us as his own. I found throughout my lifetime, whether I'm in a very joyful uptime or a maybe troubled downtime, the words are equally comforting, and I hope they will be to you this morning, too.
freedom. I am the peace the world cannot give. I will call your name, embracing all your pain. Stand up, no walk. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. On the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 and verses 8 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, for in every way you have enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word to God's people. I'm not quite sure how we came upon this sermon series except I think Rachel and I felt that we were getting 
maybe a little overly serious with uh, our sermons, and we wanted to have a, a palate cleanser, is that what you might call it, a change of pace um, for the summer, and, and so we thought it might be fun just to uh, have a series of sermons that talked about Old Testament characters. And you've uh, had a couple from Rachel, and today uh, you'll hear from me. I'm going to be talking about Moses. Um, the thought is that these Old Testament characters are, are perhaps symptomatic of our circumstance also, that as much as we might feel like we are flawed people and we try so hard to be faithful that we actually can see that pattern in these pillars of the Old Testament of our Judeo-Christian faith, that in them we also see flawed people who have tried hard to be faithful and God has used for greater purposes. So I take some heart from that. I know you all think I'm perfect, but... um, I'm really not, yet I am hopeful that God brings blessing through me, and I think we all hope that in our own lives, that God's will may work through us, even though we may be flawed, because we try to be faithful. So we're going to talk about Moses today, and did you know that Moses didn't exist? Well, a bunch of scholars think Moses didn't exist, that it's just too remarkable. It's just too remarkable that all these things uh, could actually have happened with one life called Moses. Now, a lot of scholars think that we read in uh, the Old Testament is all about a person called Moses and that Moses is, is rightfully attributed all these events, Exodus and all this kind of stuff. But it's interesting how Moses, well, and the Exodus is not attested to in any other ancient Near East source. It only comes up in Scripture. And so as scholars are wont to be, they raise the question, well, what does this mean? How come we don't have any other verification? So you can guess how academia is having fun with Moses these days. Here in the local church, I would invite you to, uh, well, give him a break. Let's go with Moses. What do you say? (laughs) Why don't we just say that we're on the side of thinking he's real, all right? Well, Unless you're a Palestinian Christian, and then you may not want to think Moses is real because the whole issue of Israel's claim to Palestine hinges on Moses and the Mosaic Covenant, so I will cut you some slack if that's your circumstance, but I don't think we have any Palestinian Christians in the congregation, so we're going to feel comfortable just assuming that what we know about Moses is stuff about a real person doing some real things. There are about seven identities, seven roles that Moses plays and played um, really well. And one is being a leader. 
We know that he was in Pharaoh's court. He was a person of influence and power. That when he fleed out to the Midianites, that he uh, gave leadership and helped rescue some women there. And that through the burning bush experience, um, it's our understanding that he was chosen by God to be a leader of God's people. So if nothing else, Moses was a powerful leader. He was also an agent of God's judgment and deliverance. You recall how it is through Moses' work that the Egyptians were confronted, the, the ten plagues sustained, and the flight across the Red Sea to liberation uh, with the Hebrews. When we study Moses, we recognize that Moses was also a shepherd and a judge. He guides and protects his people in the wilderness like a good shepherd would. And then he punishes and chastises his people when, to his mind, their whining is getting a little bit out of hand. Moses is understood as a mediator of God's covenant and law. You remember how he uh, brought the 15 commandments down the mountain, slipped, dropped one, left us with 10. That was in a movie, wasn't it? Thank you, Monty Python, again. Moses brings forward to us the 10 commandments and other codes of uh, social and personal behavior. And with Moses' time, the Abrahamic covenant is advanced forward and is now called the Mosaic Covenant. We see Moses as intercessor to God on behalf of his people and a representative of God to his people. Twice Moses is remembered as standing in the breach between an angry God and the Hebrews. I'm remembering the golden calf story, and I'm remembering when the spies returned from the promised land. Both of those were experiences that God was not pleased with. Yet Moses interceded on behalf of his people, and God was merciful and forgiving. Indeed, when Moses was with God on Mount Sinai, his countenance glowed, and as he came down the mountain, he was radiating the light of God to the people of God. Moses is seen as a teacher of a new generation. We thank Moses for pulling together, or his people pulling together, the, the codes, the rules, the laws, all in Deuteronomy. A matter of fact, he is such a powerful person that that was all done after he was dead. Yet we give him credit for doing it. Moses identifies what is the most sacred, what is the most germane and poignant of things, of our relationship to God and how we should be towards one another. He's considered the best prophet, the epitome of the prophetic movement, bringing God's word to God's people, reflecting the yearnings and the hopes of God's people to God. Now, if I haven't put you asleep, you might have been saying, as you ticked through these seven things, well, Jesus did that too. 
That's what we think about Jesus. Great leader, agent of God's judgment and deliverance, a shepherd and a judge, a mediator of God's covenant, an intercessor to God, a representative of God to us. All these roles that Moses played are roles that we feel Jesus played. It's a marvelous list of qualities for Moses, of roles, of powerful identities for Moses, of effectiveness. And remember, this is a guy who killed somebody. Maybe it was a righteous moment. We're not all that sure, except that one of the Hebrew slaves was being abused. And we're told that Moses lost his control and uh, killed the guy and then ran for his life. We're also told that, that he was a little hesitant being God's mouthpiece because he had a hard time talking. Maybe he was a stutterer. Maybe he had a hard time enunciating Thick tongue, maybe, something. Not sure. He had flaws. Moses had flaws. Yet Moses tried to live a faithful life and to follow the will of God. And here we are some, what, 3,000 years later or so, celebrating him the roles he played and the influence he had upon our ancestors. When we think about Moses, unless we're well-schooled in what I just said to you of Old Testament of Hebrew scriptures, we think of Moses as he's presented to us in the New Testament. And we get um, two views of Moses in the New Testament. One is a perspective that has Jesus being the heir apparent to all that Moses did, that there's a steady stream forward of God's uh, redemptive work that moves through Moses to Jesus. It's a line that we as good Jews were asked to follow, to see that in Jesus was the fulfillment of what Moses was talking about not at odds with one another, but in sync with one another. We see this as much of the Gospels and some of the earlier New Testament writings tries to connect and say, Jesus is the second Moses. Pay attention, pay attention. He's doing just what Moses did. He's the second Moses. In fact, he was born under threat of death. He was in Egypt, and then Jesus fled from Egypt to the promised land, just like Moses had. In fact, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in respect to Moses's 40 years in the wilderness, a similar kind of process of getting bearings so able to enter the promised land. That Jesus had his moment with God on a mound just like Moses did, although it was Mount Tabor, not Mount Sinai and that Jesus' face glowed just like Moses' face glowed. 
And you know that how Moses fed the crowds with manna from heaven and rock, water out of a rock. Well, Jesus had a divine, God-driven miracle, too, of feeding people. Jesus. You see? See how he's like Moses? Pay attention to Jesus. The early Jesus movement people said to their family, their brothers and sisters in the Hebrew faith. But then time passed some, and that did not seem to be a winning argument. And to a lot of the Jews of that day, that was not convincing. And Jesus seemed to be a stretch step too far. How could a Messiah have gone through what Jesus went through? And what kind of Messiah are you talking about anyway, in that he's not returning to David's throne like the Messiah is supposed to. And the focus of the early church movement started to look towards Gentiles rather than Jews and writings we see in the later writings of our Testament as well as the patristic period starts to be antagonistic language, distancing language to the Hebrews. Jesus is remembered as saying... You've heard it said, but I tell you, who said what you heard it said that Jesus is referring to? Moses. Moses might have said this. Moses might have meant that. But here is what I say. Jesus was the bread of heaven. Didn't need any manna. Jesus was the living water. We didn't need any water out of rocks. And at that transfiguration, you remember the stories of the transfiguration when Jesus glowed. Well, who's standing there with Jesus anyway? Who was in the subordinate positions of left and right as Jesus was the center in communion with God? Well, the heavy-hitting prophet Elijah and the best prophet ever, Moses. Secondary characters to the main event between Jesus and God. Moses was a servant of God. Jesus was the son of God. Moses built an earthly sanctuary. Jesus was building a heavenly sanctuary. Moses and the priests that followed in the tradition offered sacrifices Year after year after year for the atonement of their people, for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus is the all-sufficient, one-time sacrifice for sin. So you can see the, the later writings of the Old Testament and our emerging theology from our early church fathers was elevating Jesus and distancing Jesus from Moses showing a distinction. And indeed, we started to use the word new covenant, superseding the old covenant of Abraham and Moses and David. And so we talk about our scriptures as the Old and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. 
that this new covenant, through the work of Christ Jesus, is the spiritual pathway to holiness, righteousness, and salvation. This is our tradition. This is a tenant of our faith. And it's called supersessionism. When Jesus is seen as succeeding Moses and being superior to Moses as prophet, as priest, as savior. Moses was a template of what Jesus lived into becoming. Now we celebrate, of course, Jesus's divinity and Jesus's life, death, and resurrection and the power of Jesus in our lives for bringing forward those moments, redemptive moments in our own personal lives. Most all of us are here today because we have had that experience of the power of the risen Christ transforming our lives. Getting us out of the gutter or getting us down from the high horse, doing something to us that's getting us right with God. But part of that getting right with God is being a loving and a merciful person is following in the steps of Jesus. And it's good every once in a while to be reminded that Jesus saw himself as following in the steps of Moses. That indeed Jesus is remembered as saying, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Having been touched by Christ, transformed by Christ, I hope that Christ helps us to look back at what came before Christ with eyes of love and gratitude. So much has been done in the name of our faith and in the name of Jesus that has been utterly harmful to our brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith. It is a sin that we carry with us collectively as a movement of God, that our forebears have exaggerated that disconnect to such an extent that some of them felt free to be the worst people they could be towards our common ancestry of our faith. We today face particular challenges, don't we, of how we are to be the followers of Jesus. And truth be told, we look back to Moses and we say, thank you for those Ten Commandments. We say, thank you for most of the codes for most of the statues and rules that you saw fit to bring forward and get into Deuteronomy. Thanks for most of them, Moses. We honor Moses today as a pillar of our faith that has made it possible for us to be open 
to the power of God through Christ Jesus. And with the power of Christ Jesus in our hearts, we look backwards and give thanks for what God did through Moses. Flawed, yet a faithful servant of God who can be for us a signpost of what some kind of faithfulness looks like, even though we be flawed. Amen.